Amen. Well, this uh, past February, we had one of the more severe earthquakes uh, for our region. Um, it was a 3.8 earthquake on the Richter scale. Um, if you're measuring it at West Seneca, where kind of the upper center was, um, a little bit less here. Um, thankfully, we live in an area where earthquakes are so severe that some of us sleep through it, like my whole family. Like, we had no idea. We heard it afterwards there was an earthquake. Thankfully, that's kind of the extent of earthquakes around here, but it's not like that everywhere. Um, and you think about earthquakes, and earthquakes are kind of frightening to me, um, and they're kind of in a different category than any other natural disaster because uh, of two reasons. Number one, you can't really predict earthquakes. I mean, I remember this past fall when there was a hurricane that was going to hit Florida, Hurricane Ian. And it was like a week, 10 days ahead of time. You know, the meteorologists are saying, uh, the storm is coming, get ready. And they didn't know exactly how powerful it would be or where exactly it was going to hit in Florida. But they knew it was going to hit Florida somewhere, probably on the West Coast. And so people had time to evacuate, had time to prepare their homes, and had time to get ready for the hurricane. Uh, with Tornadoes, you can't exactly predict when a tornado is going to happen, but there's kind of atmospheric conditions that make tornadoes more likely. And so, you know, if certain things come together, I mean, I know even last week uh, in our area, there was a, a warning. It was like a, a low possibility that there could be tornadoes in our region. So you have kind of some warning that something like that is happening. But when it comes to earthquakes, you have no idea. Uh, I was doing some research and I found this like early warning system for earthquakes and the U.S. Geological Association and a number of states where there's a lot of hurricanes have invested a lot of money into this early detection system. And I was looking at it, and it's like, how long do you have between the time that it registers and sends you a text message and the earthquake is upon you? And the answer is anywhere from a few seconds to about a minute or so. I mean, at that point, what can you do? How can you prepare? I mean, you can duck, maybe try to run to your basement or... Uh, or whatnot, but you don't really have any time. It's upon you before you know it. So earthquakes are kind of scary because you can't really predict them. Um, secondly, you can't really avoid them. If you're in an area where there's an earthquake, you're going to be shaken. I mean, if, you're, if there's a hurricane, you can evacuate, you can move to higher ground. Uh, if there's tornadoes, you can kind of leave the area uh, and try to prevent them. But when it comes to an earthquake, if you're in an area that there is an earthquake, you're going to be shaken. doesn't matter if you're at the top of the highest building or in a basement. Everyone is going to be shaken. The other thing that's surprising to me about earthquakes is that they're very, very common. And it's surprising to me because they're not really common around here as much. Um, but throughout the world, every year, there's about 500,000 earthquakes. Uh, of those, 100,000 can be felt. And of those 100,000 that can be felt, 100 of them will cause damage. And on average, every year, there's one Category 8 earthquake somewhere in the world. So earth earthquakes are unpredictable. Uh, there's no avoiding them. They're very common. Um, and throughout the world, before modern science, uh, before we knew about you know, plate tectonics and how, uh, why an earthquake happens, there were different theories for why an earthquake happened. Um, some of them are kind of amusing. Like in ancient Japan, there was this idea that uh, beneath the earth, there was this giant catfish. Um, and there was this demigod named Demoigen, and Demoigen would put a rock on this catfish's head, 
But when, the, when Demoigan got tired or he got a little bit careless, uh, the, the catfish would, would wake up and he'd move around and then you'd have an earthquake. Um, there's another story from India, uh, I believe, that it, it, they believe that the earth was held up by four elephants, that the earth was on top of four elephants' back, and beneath the elephants were turtles, and beneath the turtle was a cobra. And so if any of the, whether the cobra or uh, the uh, turtle or the elephant, if any of them lost their balance, there would be an earthquake. Uh, in ancient Greece, there was this belief that the winds were kind of hidden into the ground and kept in the ground, and they tried to escape from the earth. And when they tried to escape from the earth, there would be an earthquake. Just think about earthquakes. They're unpredictable. There's no avoiding them. They're common, and, and then people have had different ways of understanding them. And you think about an earthquake, and I think there's kind of an equivalent of earthquakes that happen in our lives as, as well. And for lack of a better word, I'll call them life quakes. These are events in our life that just shake us to the core. These events in our life are unpredictable. They're the call that we get in the middle of the night that a loved one has passed away. There's a time when we're in the hospital or in the doctor's office and we get the diagnosis that we never expected. They happen when our spouse says, I don't love you anymore, and leaves us. They happen when we unexpectedly struggle with infertility. They happen when we expected to be married by a certain point in our life and expected to have a family and yet we remain single. They happen when our kids come down with severe illnesses or Debilitating things, whether that's physical, behavioral, emotional. We don't expect those things. It happens when our bank account is empty. Bills are piling up. Oftentimes these life quakes happen to us. They shake us at our core. And we never expect them. They're never at the times what we expect. They're in the middle of the night. They're, when things seem to be going well, that's when life kind of hits us and we're shaken. The reality is all of us are shaken. All of us have these events in our life, things that we wish didn't happen, things that change who we are. Uh, there's things that happen to each and every one of us throughout the year. There's things that may happen even this year that will shake us, that will never be the same anymore. And then from that, we kind of ask questions like, why does God allow this to happen? What's God's purpose in this? And we kind of try to pick up the pieces to move forward uh, with what's happened to us. And so today I'd like to consider the question, what do we do uh, when kind of the, we feel shaken in our lives? When we, what do we do when we feel shaken to the core, when we feel like the foundation that we, we're standing on has been taken away from us and we feel like we don't know where to turn? So that's a question I'd like to consider today in light of the resurrection and in light of Easter. But before we go there, I think there's a couple preliminaries that we need to talk about. First of all, a life quake, when we're shaken to the core, it often means death. Uh, if you have a Bible, if you wouldn't mind turning to Matthew chapter 27, um, we'll be reading verses 45 to 54. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 says this, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. 
But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again, and with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. So in this passage, we see that there's an earthquake, and the earthquake signifies that Jesus has died. And sometimes when we're shaken in our lives, it's because of a physical death. You know, maybe a loved one has passed away. Uh, but other times, it's, it's more than that. Maybe it's a spiritual death or uh, a death that just, uh, or a death of our dreams or death of our hopes, a death of our expectations. And, and you see in this passage, Jesus' death was a physical death, but it was more than that. You think about the disciples. The disciples had followed Jesus for a number of years at this point. They had kind of a rhythm of doing life with Jesus. They had expectations about who they thought Jesus was, what they thought Jesus was going to do. They had left a lot to follow him. They had left their careers. Some had left their families. And they're following Jesus with these hopes and dreams and expectations. And then there's this earthquake, and Jesus has died. I, I can't imagine how it would have shaken them, shaken them to the core, that all of their efforts, all, that they, all their hopes, all of their dreams are now shattered. It's a physical thing, but it's also more than that. It's a death of dreams. Some of us have those dreams that have died in our lives. Some of us have had a dream of a happy marriage. We came to our wedding day with hope and expectation, but that hope has died, and now we feel alone. Some of us dreamed of having a family, kids by the time we were 30, and maybe we're 30 or 40, 50, no prospects in sight. Some of us have had a dream of having a child, and yet we remain childless. Some of us had a dream of, of a happy, successful career, and yet we lost our job, or maybe we just feel like we're not fulfilled in our job, or feel like we're not being appreciated or utilized. Some of us expected to be financially secure, financially successful, and yet we struggle to make it each and every month. Some of us have health difficulties, and then those health difficulties keep us from doing the things that we want to do, and it feels like inside we're dying because we can't be the people that we want to be. We all face things in our life that shake us. And oftentimes those things that shake us are, are kind of like a death, a death of a dream, a death of an opportunity, death of an expectation. And sometimes that can disorient us. But it's not only in our personal life, it's also in our life as a country. You think about the last several years, and of course the event that has shaken us the most uh, in, in our lifetime was the pandemic. You know, when you think about that, and it wasn't just the fact of our own mortality and the fact that we could get an illness and, and potentially die, uh, but it was more than that. It meant that we couldn't go to a restaurant and we couldn't go to a, um, a movie theater. We couldn't go to a shopping mall. It meant our kids couldn't go to school. It meant that we couldn't go to a playground. And it, it was almost like a death because all of these things were kind of taken away from us for a time. And thankfully, a lot of those things have kind of gone back to normal now, but we live in a world that is shaken to the core. The world is shaken by warfare, the, the war in Ukraine, the constant threat of nuclear war with Russia and other countries. 
The country is shaken by division. Politically, we are just uh, on opposite ends of the spectrum. Politics are uglier than they've ever been. People are divided. Uh, we're losing our sense of what it even means to be an American. What, uh, what is it that we stand for? Uh, our country is shaken by confusion about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and by those who would claim that gender is a social construct that can be changed. Our country is shaken by depression and mental illness. Uh, I found some stats this, this week that were just staggering. According to the NIH, National Institutes of Health, they found among 18 to 25-year-olds, 33.7% of them deal with mental illness, have some kind of mental illness, 33.7%. And, and overall, of, over, all adults is about 22.6%. And you think about that, one in three young adults have mental illness. I mean, at that point, you don't really have any control. I mean, I mean that's, that's a huge number of the population. And you have the pandemic of, of, uh, of drug addiction and the fentanyl uh, poisoning and, and those who are succumbing to that. Uh, the world is, sh our country is shaken by financial crisis. You have to take out a second mortgage to get some gas or uh, to get a couple things from the grocery store. We live in a world that's shaken, and, and oftentimes it's our dreams are shaken, our security is shaken, our comfort is shaking. Th things are not as we would hope they would be. And when our world is shaken, it can be a little bit disorienting. Um, there's a, um, and oftentimes when we do that, we sometimes we get disoriented and we kind of focus on ourselves, we kind of lose ourselves, maybe give ourselves to addictions, and we're lost. Um, there's a science exhibit that's appeared throughout the world. It's called Dialogue in the Dark. And uh, this is a very interesting exhibit. And uh, basically what it is is they're trying to get people who can see to get a taste of what it's like to be blind. And, and so people will go into this big facility, and it will be completely dark. They can't see anything around them. And they'll go on this tour. Usually the tour is led by someone who's actually blind. Um, and they'll go, kind of do everyday things. They'll, like, walk down a street, and they'll go to a, a grocery store. Or they, uh, they'll go on a boat. Um, they'll just they'll go get something to drink. They'll do things that are kind of uh, normal, kind of easy things to do that we take for granted, but that are hard to do when you're blind. And the thing that's interesting is that when people go into this exhibit, oftentimes they just freak out. Uh, people will start screaming as if people can't hear them in the dark anymore. Um, sometimes people will faint. Uh, one of the tour guides who, who, who was doing this uh, dialogue in the dark said this. He said, some people become so disoriented and unfocused that they can't tell left from right. He says, I'll tell them to use their left hand to find the wall, and they can't do it. They get disoriented by the darkness around them. And in the same world, when our lives are shaken, oftentimes we become disoriented. We're not sure where to turn. Life no longer makes sense. So when our lives are shaken, it can mean death. But also when our lives are shaking, a life quake is often a prelude to resurrection. If you still have your Bible open, turn over a, a chapter to chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 says this. Now, the Sabbath, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. 
But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his, his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see you. So an earthquake signaled Jesus' death, but an earthquake also signaled Jesus' resurrection. And the first earthquake had to happen before the second earthquake could happen. There had to be a death before there was a resurrection. Likewise, in our own lives, sometimes God has to shake us before he can raise us. That is, he needs to allow a death to occur in our lives so that, we might, so that he might bring his resurrection power in our lives. If, we're, if I were to go around the room today, I'm sure dozens of us could tell stories of times where God met them in a powerful way, where God's resurrection power met them. And my guess is nine out of ten of those stories, or maybe even higher, that we tell are, are times when we were shaken. That's when God met us. It wasn't when things were going really well. It was when we were at the lowest point in our life or when things were falling apart. Our lives were, didn't make sense anymore. And that's where Jesus' resurrection power met us. Sometimes Jesus has to shake us before he can raise us. Sometimes he has to, lose, he has to take away some things in our lives before we can become the people that he wants us to be. You know, sometimes he needs to shift our direction. It's like we're going this way. And we're just focused on going that way. And we have no uh, conception, no idea that we need to be going a different way. And God has to shake us so that we go the other way. You think about the disciples. They had dreams. Their dreams weren't bad. They weren't sinful dreams. They had dreams and expectations about who Jesus was. What Jesus was going to accomplish. But their dreams were this big. God had incredible dreams for them. And sometimes our small dreams have to die so that God's resurrection power can move among us. So that his dreams can take hold in our hearts. And so we have to die in order that we might live. Uh, Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in for return for his soul? Sometimes there's things in our lives, they're not necessarily sinful things, but they're things that God has to shake us of in order that he might raise us to new life. God has a better plan. He knows more than we know. He's got a better plan than our, our greatest dreams. So kind of with that in mind, a, a life quake, when we're shaken, it can mean death, but it can also be a prelude to resurrection. With those things in mind, let's return to that question that we're considering today. What do I do when the foundation beneath me doesn't hold anymore? What, is, what do I do when life no longer makes sense? What do I do when my world is shaken? And the answer is we need to see the resurrection. 
When our world is shaken, we need to see the resurrection. We have a choice whether we believe that death will win or that Jesus has won. It's all in how we see a situation. You know, we think, think about the world that we see, and oftentimes we think of ourselves as kind of being objective observers, that we see what is. But we don't see what is. We see what we want to see. We see what we choose to see. Now, of course, there's kind of a pathology to that, whereas, you know, some people see things that are, that are not in their environment at all. We're not talking about that. But, you know, you even look at the Gospels, and the Gospels are writing about the same person, Jesus, the same events, but they have different perspectives. They choose to include certain things. They choose to exclude certain things. They have different perspectives. Um, think about the story of the prodigal son. You know the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Uh, this, this father uh, is, is a wealthy man. His, he has two sons. The one son comes to him and says, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Um, and so the father gives him his share of the inheritance, and he, this son goes out, squanders all of his father's inheritance on just riotous living, on prostitutes, um, on just crazy stuff. And uh, then, he's, then he's hungry, he comes back home. Now we think about that story, and, and I know, remember I I've, I've had read this story for years and uh, preached on this story, and you know, think about the question, so why did the son return home? Why was he hungry? And I always said, well, it's because he squandered all he had. That's true, but that's only half the story. The text also says that there was a great famine in the land. That's why he was hungry. He had squandered all he had, and there was a great famine in the land. Now, I had passed right by that, read this story dozens of times, preached on this story, never even thought about that little tiny detail. Uh, There was actually a researcher named Mark Allen Powell, and he did this study a uh, little kind of informal study called the Forgotten Famine. And he went to seminary students from the United States, and uh, he asked them to read the story of the prodigal son and to retell that story as accurately as in detail as possible. And what he found was that when he did that with American students, uh, the majority of them didn't mention the famine at all. But then when he went to Russia and asked uh, this group of people who had kind of this recent memory of a famine, he asked them to do the exact same thing. The majority of them included the famine in the retelling of the story. And so we can look at the same story, we can look at the same situation, and we can kind of focus on different things. It's, it's not just what we see, it's how we perceive it and how we think about it. Now when you came, came in today, you should have received a bulletin, and in your bulletin, Uh, Just below the sermon notes, there's an image. And if you have a bulletin, feel free to look at that now. So what does that image say? It says death, right? But there's another word in that image. Can anybody see that other word? Life. If you turn it upside down, it says the word life. Now, both of those words are in, in, in that picture death and life, but it's how you look at it. One, from one perspective, it's death. From the other perspective, it's life. Now, when we look at events in our life, sometimes when our life is shaken, we can think two things. Number one, we can think, wow, this is terrible. This is like a death in my life. This feels like the end of my life. It feels like I don't have any hope anymore feels like this is destruction. And there's a sense in which there may be death in that being shaken, that we might need to let go of things. 
But what do the scriptures say? The scriptures say one day death will be swallowed up with victory. That resurrection has the last word. And so even if there's death in our story, it doesn't have the last word. And so we look at the story, we look at the things that shake us, and we look at them not as something that's going to destroy us, but something that's going to be used by God to raise us up. It's all how we look at the circumstance. We can see death or we can see life, but if we look at it through the lens of the resurrection, we see life. What does that mean practically in the situations that we talked about above? A person struggling with uh, severe physical disabilities might think to themselves, wow, I can't do the things that I want to do. I feel like my life is just wasting away. And there's a sense in which that's true. But we could also look at it from the perspective that one day God is going to give me a new body. And in the meantime, while he's giving me a, when he's going to give me a new body, he's going to renew my spirit. And he's going to use me in ways that maybe I could never even imagine. Maybe for those who were longing for a spouse, we could dwell on that fact we don't have a spouse. Or we could believe that God has better things in store for us. Whether that's having a spouse in the future or not. For the person longing for a child, that person could feel inadequate, unloved, or they could focus on the fact that God is going to use them wherever they're at, whether that's caring for physical children or spiritual children, those around them. For the person struggling with uh, their finances, they could look at their bank account and say, wow, I don't have much to work with. This is bad. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. That might be true, but they could also look at it from the same perspective and say, hey, This is an opportunity for me to trust God. This is an opportunity for God to provide for me in ways that I never even imagined. This is an opportunity for me to be used by God. For the person who's struggling with anxiety, uh, mental illness, they could focus on the fact that all they see is darkness. But they can also focus on the fact that Jesus is the light in the darkness. And one day he's going to bring light to our darkness. It's all a matter of perspectives, how we see our situation. And as believers in Christ, we are children of the resurrection. We are not children of death. We can see the same circumstance when our life is shaken. We have the choice, do we believe it's a death or do we believe that God is going to raise us to new life? Changes our perspective. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We're children of the resurrection. We see life through the lens of the resurrection. But sometimes as believers, we focus on loss rather than on hope. We focus on what's taken away from us rather than what God is going to do through us. We focus on the fact that we feel like death is going to win rather than the fact that Christ has already won. You think about the first people to experience the empty tomb. Think about the women who went to the empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning. What was their response? They grieved. That was their first response. They saw the empty tomb And they grieved. I mean, think about that. But that empty tomb could mean death, but it also could mean resurrection. It's all how you see the circumstance. Commenting on this, Letty Kaumann, missionary to Japan, said this, Your Christ and my Christ came from their loss. 
Myriad mourning hearts have had resurrection in the midst of their grief. And yet the sorrowing watchers looked at the seed form of this result and saw nothing. What they regarded as the end of life was the very preparation for coronation. For Christ was silent that he might live again in tenfold power. They saw it not. It was a sepulcher, unprophetic, voiceless, lusterless. So with us. Every man sits over against the sepulcher in his garden in the first instance and says, This woe is irremediable. I see no benefit in it. I will take no comfort in it. And yet right in our deepest and worst mishaps, often Christ is lying, waiting for resurrection. God meets us in our lowest points. He shakes us sometimes or allows things to happen in our lives so that he might raise us to new life. We're children of the resurrection. We're children of hope. Death will not win. On one occasion, the great artist Michelangelo uh, turned to his fellow artists who had created a number of pictures of Christ on the cross. And he was really fed up with this, and he said this to them. Why do you keep filling gallery after gallery with endless pictures on the one theme of Christ and weakness, Christ on the cross, and most of all, Christ hanging dead? Why do you concentrate on passing episodes as if it were the last work, as if the curtain dropped in him with disaster and defeat? That dreadful scene lasted a few hours, but to the unending eternity, Christ is alive, the stone has been rolled away, and he rules and reigns in triumph. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of dust, the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also those are of the heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the... Uh, the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through through our Lord Jesus Christ. We all experience times in our life when we're shaken. We can't predict it, but we do know it's going to happen to each and every one of us. In those moments, we have a choice. Are we going to believe that death will win or that Christ has already won the victory? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your resurrection. We thank you that you've won the victory over sin, death, and the grave. We thank you that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. There's nothing that could keep us from your presence, Lord. Lord, as we live our lives Lord, help us to live in faith. Help us to see your resurrection in the circumstances of our life. Sometimes we face things in our lives, again, that shake us that we don't understand. We don't understand why you allow certain things to happen or 
don't cause certain things to happen. But Lord, as believers, we trust that you do have a plan. We trust that even in the midst of hardship, you're going to work for our good and for your glory. We believe that you're the God of the resurrection. You're the God who raises the dead. Lord, help us to live in victory today. Help us to live in light of the cross, but also in light of your victory and the resurrection. In Christ's name I pray.